Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, week three of Serves Up, um, our summer series that we've enjoyed so far. You know, the time is now. It's time to serve. It's here. Uh, This week, we've highlighted, uh, just to kind of reiterate what Stephen said earlier, that uh, we have local ministry opportunities that are here with us this morning. Last week, we saw you as as you went from this service, man, the halls filled up and and you got to hear more about opportunities. Uh, Last week, we have that again this week. So if you can stick around after the service, um, and, and you'll see a list of them on the worship guide, and there are more than this, uh, even since we printed this. We've added a few. So uh, go by these tables, find out how you can plug in and serve our community. That's what we want to continue to talk about uh, this morning. Um, there was a song by John Mayer uh, that goes, I'm, I'm waiting on the, I keep waiting on the world to change. If you know it, now it will not leave your head because it's kind of a catchy song. If you don't know it, let me help you. He says, so we keep on waiting. And then waiting, waiting on the world to change. So we keep on waiting, waiting on the world to change. You know, I think that's how we view the world these days. You know, we're, we're, we're pretty frustrated. We can be. And we talk a lot about how much we want the world to change. And, and whether that's to go back to the way it was or we have some new ideas about how things should be going. And, and if we can just get to that. And, and really, it just frustrates us that the current state of the world is, is as it is. And we just keep on waiting for the world to change. And we really don't know what to do about it because it it just seems overwhelming. It's just this huge problem that we don't even know where to start. Uh, So we get to the point where we just go, well, changing the world is just somebody else's job. This is how the song continues. Me and all my friends were all misunderstood. They say we stand for nothing and there's no way we we ever could. Now we see everything that's going wrong with the world and those who lead it. We just feel like we don't have the means to rise above and beat it. And then he goes back into the the chorus there. And that song is going to be stuck in your head the rest of the day. But I think that's true. You and I, we, we don't necessarily have the means to change the whole world. And so we keep waiting. But what if changing the world, think with me for just a second. What if changing the world is not necessarily through uh, this one big act, but maybe it has more to do with more small actions? What if changing the world happened through small actions instead of one big one? Now we're kind of getting to a place where we can do something. I can't change this whole, the whole of society, but I can help change another person's life. And how do we change a person's life? Maybe if we, if, we, if we can get at that, maybe we can change enough lives that our part of the world then begins to shift a little bit and change and, and become more of what uh, God wants here. So the question is not, how do I change the world? The question is, how do I change a life? And Jesus has answered that for us. And the answer is in the gospel. The gospel is the power. The gospel is the power to change a life. But how do you get them to hear the gospel? You have to serve them. And that's where we're going to get to. Serving changes people. Paul said the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But how do we get them to hear? We have to serve. But here's, here's a paradox. To change the world, you have to be in power. But to change a person, you just have to be a servant. 
And that's why we're going through this whole series this summer, is we want to shift our focus to serving so that from this place, all over the community, you see the, the, the fingerprints of North Monroe through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Serves up. So let's get back into the story. We're going to pick up where we left off last week with the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10. Turn there with me if you get a chance, or, or turn on your devices and click over to Luke chapter 10, however you do it. Um, if you remember last week, a lawyer came to Jesus, and, and his, his motive was to trap Jesus. So the lawyer asks him, what does it take to achieve salvation? He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, that's, that's what a lot of people are asking. Um, and, and honestly, it's funny that Jesus doesn't correct him there, but Jesus kind of plays right into it, and he's getting to the point. Um, but, you know, I think, I think if this guy would have asked Paul, what, do I, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Paul would have stopped right there and corrected him. and goes, well, look at my letter to the Romans. You, know, you can't do anything. It's, uh, it's not achieved. Uh, but it's important because Jesus doesn't correct him. This guy was chained to this way of thinking that salvation can possibly be achieved. And again, he's a lawyer, so through the law. But we know that salvation is a gift, and it's received. And Jesus taught that. But Jesus plays along with it. And he says, well, what does the law say? What does the law say? So the guy summarizes it, probably how we would if we were in his shoes, with the great commandment. He says in Luke 10, 27, he's pointing back to the Old Testament. He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your heart, or your soul and strength and your mind, with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And, and Jesus said, well, that's it. Exactly. Do that. Do that and you will live. Get it right. Of course, we all know, and probably the law you're new to, no one can get that perfectly right. That's why we need grace. We're going to mess this thing up eventually. We can't completely uh, live our lives imperfectly uh, following just that. We're going to mess it up. But Jesus continues uh, in, in verse 29. Uh, the, the lawyer says, is he wishing to justify himself? So we've, we've shifted from trying to trap Jesus and, uh, you know, catch him in his own words to now this lawyer is wanting to justify himself. And that word justify, it's a big biblical word. It, it means to make himself seem more righteous, which is funny. He's standing in, you know, this lawyer is talking to Jesus, the one who will justify. And he's wanting to justify himself in his own way of thinking. Um, this guy cared more about what people thought of him than what he really was. Uh, he didn't really want to learn love, how to love God and love his neighbor. He just wanted people to think that he loved. Um, and so rather than admit that he can't truly fulfill that great commandment, um, he shifts the focus. He puts the blame on the parameters. He says, okay, well then, who's my neighbor? Jesus, why don't you, if that's all I have to do, okay, let's, let's narrow this down a little bit more. So who is my neighbor? And, and I think we do that too. If, if we, when we want to just get it right, when we have it in our minds that we must do something to achieve salvation, then we've got to figure out the exact way to do that. So the lawyer, who is my neighbor? Tell me who it is. So if that's me, 
All I've got to do is serve the Brumfields and the Ellingtons right next door. And then I can jump across the street to the Kings, serve them, maybe the Powells down the street. And then if I have time, I can go down to the Hilliards or the Hacklers. But maybe, you know, maybe. Those are the people. If it's just who's right next to you, this could be easy, right? We could do this. But, you know, Jesus didn't really answer that question. He didn't, he didn't specify uh, who, who is my neighbor. Instead, he, he picks up a story that we looked at last week. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he got mugged, beaten nearly to death. So he's laying beside the road, half alive. And, and so we, we, we've got this scene painted, and we're watching. If we were watching a movie, all of a sudden, around the corner, we see somebody coming, and it's like, oh, finally, this guy's going to get the help he needs. And we realize it's a priest. And the priest gets closer and closer, and we kind of, in the scene, we pick up that the priest realizes, okay, there's a guy that's laying on the road. He's heard stories about this before. could be a trap. Um, it, he could be, it just could be a really messy situation. And uh, instead of going over to help, the priest swings wide and continues on his journey. Scene continues, and all of a sudden, a Levite rounds the corner. And, and you're like, finally. And you, you want to be in that guy's mind who's laying on the side of the road, like, finally, I have some help here. Maybe this Levite will come up and, and help. And the Levite does the same thing and continues on. You're like, what is going on? Why has nobody helped? Well, around the corner comes the Samaritan. And, and, and in a Jewish mind, you're thinking, why is a Samaritan in this story? He doesn't worship in Jerusalem. What is he doing? He's on this journey. Why even bring him up? And, uh, and you think surely he's just going to keep passing on too because that's what a Samaritan would do. But instead, the Samaritan stops. He saw him. He came to him. He felt compassion for him. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds and took care of him. And, and we see him not just meet the immediate need, but carry him on to a, a safe place and, and, and restore him to health. We don't see that he restores to complete health, but he gets him to a place where he can continue to restore, which I think is important. So Jesus finishes the story and he turns the question back on the lawyer and he says, who was the neighbor in this story? forcing the lawyer to admit it was the Samaritan, um, the hated Samaritan. So the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? Jesus turns it around and says, well, whose neighbor are you? That's what, the, that's what we need to get at. Whose neighbor are you? So the question here isn't so much who are we serving, but are we servants? Are we servants? When you get to that, we begin to understand how this whole serving thing works. It's not about who we serve, but are we servants? You see, God is calling us to serve every need that He puts in our path. You think, what in the... Every need? We are to serve every need that God puts in our path. If you greet a need, then you meet a need. You could say it this way. The need you greet becomes the need you meet. That's what He's calling us to. You think, well, how in the world am I going to do that? Every need? Yes, you can do it. You can do it. Let me, let me point out a few things. How do I do that? Well, number one, you have to own the problem. You have to own it, okay? When you greet a need, it is nobody else's responsibility but yours now. You have to own it. Go back to the story of the Samaritan again. 
And, and just to kind of reiterate, it goes back, the guy gets mugged, the two religious guys come down the road, and both of them act like they don't see him. And then the Samaritan comes along, goes to the guy, and like we said, he bandages his wounds, hauls him to an inn, not only pays for that night, but offers to pay for whatever other expenses are incurred. So we see this drastic difference between the two. What is it? What's the difference between the Samaritan and the religious guys? The religious guys rejected the need. They greeted it and rejected it. The Samaritan greeted it and meted it, just to follow along with that. The Samaritan owned the need. And that's what God is calling us to do. You can do this. He took ownership. And that's the whole idea about what it means to be a neighbor if, a, if, a neighbor, if we keep a neighbor as this idea of a specific person or a group of people, and outside of that I'm not going to serve, then we miss the point. It means we greet a need and we meet the need. Serving is everyone's job. Everyone's. It's not just the paid professionals. You know, the church got off base with this a long time ago. The great, one of the greatest mistakes that we ever made was making a distinction between the priests and the people. And it created this idea that the professional priests are the ones that do the ministry. And the people are the ones who are the recipients of ministry. So so nobody's going to do anything unless the priest does it. The professionals. And... uh, and that's just totally wrong. And, and even in the Baptist church, we've carried this thought for way too long, and we've had a hard time letting it go. You know, we, we still see this in, in most churches today. If somebody goes to the hospital, it, it doesn't matter how many people in the church show up, 100, 200, 3. If the pastor doesn't show up, the church hasn't been there. That's how people feel still. shouldn't be that way. We're all servants And God wants to empower all of us to respond to the needs that he places in front of us. See, this this serving thing isn't confined to just the professionals. You know, and and think with me. Just think how much better off we're going to be when we're all released to serve. You know, there there was a book written back in the 90s by Jan Carlson, who's the chairman of the Scandinavian Airlines back then. He he took over, and when he came in, the company was losing $17 a year. They had a reputation of being consistently late on international flights. And he's this big customer service guy, and and he realized the biggest problem was that the the company had adopted a a centralized decision-making policy. So nobody could take initiative, no matter who you were. Nobody could take initiative and meet a need. It had to go through leadership. So, you you know, you're at the gate, and, and, and somebody's got this huge problem. You can't make that decision. You had to call into the leadership and see. So Carlson said at that time, problems are solved on the spot as soon as they arise. No frontline employee has to wait for a supervisor's permission. That was a new policy he inserted. He called these moments of contact with the consumer moments of truth, and that was the name of his book. Here's one of the illustrations from from his uh, Moments of Truth book. He said, Rudy Peterson was an American businessman staying at the Grand Hotel in Stockholm. One day he left the hotel and headed for the Orlando airport north of Stockholm to accompany a colleague on a Scandinavian Airlines flight to Copenhagen. The trip was only for a day, but it was important. And so when he arrived at the airport, he realized he left his ticket back at the hotel. He set it down on the bureau to don his overcoat and had forgotten to pick it up. And everybody knows that you can't board an airplane without a ticket. So Rudy Peterson had already resigned himself to missing the flight and his business meeting. 
in Copenhagen. But when he explained his dilemma to the ticket agent, he got a pleasant surprise. She said, don't worry, Mr. Peterson, here's your boarding card and here's a temporary ticket. Uh, I'll tell you, just tell me your room number at the Grand Hotel and your destination in Copenhagen and I'll take care of the rest. So while Rudy and his colleague waited in the passenger lounge, the ticket agent dialed the hotel, a bellhop checked the room and found the ticket exactly where Mr. Peterson had said it would be. The ticket agent then sent the limo to retrieve it from the hotel and bring it directly to her. As it happened, they moved so quickly that the ticket arrived before the Copenhagen flight had departed, and no one was more surprised than Rudy Peterson when the flight attendant approached him and said calmly, Mr. Peterson, here's your ticket. Now think about the impact that had on that guy, that, that they went above and beyond to, to make it happen. They didn't float it up and have to go through leadership and figure out what to do. They just made it happen. You know what I realize as we think about that? That's exactly what Jesus did with the gospel. He didn't float down a memo with a bunch of procedural instructions on here's exactly what you need to do. Instead, he just empowered his disciples and people to respond to needs as they arise. So that means we're all servants, all of us. Do you see a need? Do you have a need that comes to your mind right now? You know whose need that is? To meet yours. You have to own it. You have to own it. Second thing you got to do is believe. See, that's, that's another part of, part of the problem is we don't believe that we have what it takes or we're the right person. But you have to believe. You say, you know, I don't, I don't really feel equipped or qualified to do this. I'm not the kind of man that I need to be. I need to work on some things before I can jump into this. You know, you won't do anything unless you believe that you can. Uh, So you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe what God wants you to do, that he's calling you to it. So let me help you with that, with your belief in this. Three things that'll help. Uh, Three things you must believe in order to serve. First off, you have to believe this. And this is foundational. God made you for a purpose, for a purpose, You know, if we told you that every week, we would never uh, run out of things to tell you. He made you for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10 is one verse where we see this. Ephesians 2.10 starts like this, for we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship. That word workmanship is is awesome. It's poema, workmanship. It's, It's where we get the word poem. And even some of the translators tried to, to change workmanship and, and, and to put in the word poem, which, which fits. Absolutely, it fits. But it's, it's a little bit bigger than that. Um, it, it not only meant God's creative work in word, such as poetry, but any form of created thing. So uh, it's the work of a skilled artist, a master craftsman, a, a master sculptor. We are his painting. Uh, that word reflects the artistry of God. And just think about it. From the beginning, he's been doing this. He created out of nothing. He formed perfectly, and he formed with a purpose. Your life has a purpose and an intention. He didn't mess up. He didn't mess up your life. Um, you were made for a purpose. This, this image leaping off the page in Ephesians about God being like an artist you know, a lot of times we think of God more, more in a mechanical sense that, you know, maybe he, he wound up the clock, keeps it old, and, and so that everything runs properly, and, and then steps back and kind of lets it run. Uh, 
And, and if we think of God just in, a, in that mechanic way, you know the only time we'll run to him is when something's broken and needs fixing. And we do that a lot of times. Instead of running to God and trusting him for every little detail of our life and trusting that we are his workmanship, we kind of only go to him when something's not working right. God, we need you to fix that. And for sure, there's a mechanical aspect to creation, but it's way more. If that's all you see and you miss the artistry of God, you've missed a point here. You are his workmanship, his poem, his song, his painting, his drama. Stephen Curtis Chapman said this, that we are a walking, breathing, priceless work of art. It's true. But, but not just a, a static work of art that's done. You know, God equips and he continues to work. He made you for a purpose and he equips those that he calls. If he's called you to it, he will equip you to do it. He's constantly transforming us and equipping us for service. So there's an old saying, you probably heard it before, God doesn't so much call the equipped as he equips the called. And that's true. That's true. He's equipped you to handle the issue, whatever it is. And, and honestly, like, if you get stuck, give us a call. We'll, we'll help you. That's why we're better together. You know, if, if I find you on the side of the road and your vehicle is broken down, I am not going to be much help. Now, I'm going to stop and help you, but I'm going to have to call somebody else to help you because I, I couldn't tell you where the motor is or the tire. You know, it's just I wouldn't know what to do, you know. But, the, but I know people who do, and I can get you the help. And that's what you may have to do. That Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You know, God's already has, has a job for you. He's already prepared it. We simply have to just join him in what he wants us to do. You know, and, and looking back at the story of the Samaritan, the hero was, was really... We call him good, but we've kind of given them, him that tag after the fact. He, there was really not much good about him other than what he did. He was really just kind of a, a certain Samaritan, a nondescript, nothing special about him, just a Samaritan. Really, he was a guy at the bottom of the barrel, barely a brother, more like a crazy Uncle Eddie. And uh, this guy is the one who met the need. You know, and, and, and the point of all that is, if... If the nondescript Samaritan did what we all should do, if he can do it, then what excuse do we have? You have to believe. You have a purpose. Second thing is you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. Just because you've messed up doesn't mean that you're disqualified from serving other people. You aren't called to perfection. What you are called to is faithfulness. So stop believing that you have to get everything just right be perfect before you can step up to the plate and serve somebody. Second Timothy 2 says this, And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So notice, it doesn't say entrust to perfect men. It says entrust to faithful men. So it's more about being faithful than it is about being flawless. None of us are flawless. We have our faults. Uh, but we can be faithful. And not, all you got to do is step up and, and, and own it. Own it and believe that you can do it. If God can only use flawless men, then the work would never get done. 
Uh, I love what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 4, he says this, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of, pow- of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. In that picture, the earthen vessel, a clay pot, okay? Nothing perfect. It's simple, inexpensive, easily cracked and flawed. It's going to take a beating, but it's what's inside of that that, that gives it its value, this treasure inside of what is uh, flawed and imperfect that makes up for it. That's us. We're flawed, but we're forgiven. So you don't have to be flawless. You just have to be faithful. And the third thing, you got to believe this. Third thing, you aren't alone. And we see this all throughout the scriptures. Go to the Old Testament. Moses is at the burning bush. God is calling him to go. And what does he say? Well, I don't have the words to say. I don't know. I'm not an eloquent speaker. What am I supposed to tell them? Who am I supposed to tell them that you are? And God's response, instead of, you know, lashing out at him, God says this. Tell them I am. In other words, I am who I am, and I am all that you need. I'm going to be with you. Jump to the New Testament. Jesus is is, uh, giving the disciples the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28. And he says this, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he says, Go and make disciples baptizing them. Teach them to obey. And I'm with you. That's all you need. Just go do it. He didn't tell them, okay, you got to get this many. You need 12. You need to get three really close to you to be your really close ones. No. He just says, go make disciples of all nations and I'll be with you. And when you serve someone in Jesus' name, you're never alone. You got to believe in yourself. You got to believe God made you for this moment You can do this because he is with you. Here's another thing. We've got to be willing. You have to be willing to meet the need. And here's the heart of it. How do I serve? Well, I have to first off be willing to serve. You have to be willing. Why didn't the priest uh, go up or why why didn't they pretend to ignore the, the guy's needs? Were they too busy? That's a thought. Were they too unclean? If, if, they, if they got into the, you know, help this guy, he'd make them unclean. Maybe this was dangerous. All of those are, are valid. But at the end of the day, what we know for sure is they were not willing to serve this man and meet his needs. And why is that? Well, one reason is because serving is dirty work. I mean, when you serve someone, sometimes it's messy. People are messy. People are uh, time-consuming and needy and don't always appreciate. Sometimes they take advantage of you. And, and more times than not, probably you're going to be on your way and have something in mind that you need to get done, and, and there's the need right in front of you. It'll be uh, inconvenient. All of that is involved in the dirty work of serving. And sadly, I think that's why many people won't do it. Like the priest and the Levite, they don't want to get dirty because serving is dirty work. And you know, you know who is willing to get dirty in this is mature people. So serving is also, it's not just dirty work, it's mature work. Uh, mature people are willing to get dirty. Reminds me of kind of growing up and, and coming through my teens. You know, at the house I grew up in, <clears throat> we didn't have the garbage disposal in the sink. 
Um, so we had that little thing in the bottom, that little net thing that kind of catches whatever is, uh, falls off the plate. And uh, so we're washing the dishes and, and get done. And I remember uh, one of my friends growing up, I distinctly remember him going over there after dinner one night and he looked down in the sink and he was like, oh my gosh, what, you know, it's like he almost threw up right there. It was so nasty. But there was always that stuff. And if you don't have a garbage disposal, you know what I'm talking about. Somebody's got to reach in there and pull out the muck so that the sink works properly and you can continue or finish out washing the dishes. And who was the one? You know, when I was little, I would have never in a million years stuck my hand into that and pulled it out. It was always mom. Mom was the one who cleaned out the sink, stuck her hand in there, pulled out the nasty stuff, threw it in the trash can and continued on. And she never had a problem that I knew of that never had a problem with it. You know, who does that? Grown-ups do. Mature people are willing to get dirty, meet the needs, make things better and cleaner. Mature people change diapers. They wipe up, wipe up dog vomit. They crawl under cars to fix leaks. Mature people know that life can get dirty and you have to be strong to deal with it. They sit beside the bed of a dying father or a dying spouse. They get up in the middle of the night with a crying child. They take on the hard stuff put their hands into the mess because that's what grown-ups do. It's dirty work. So why did the Samaritan help the guy and not the priest? The big part is he helped him because he was willing to get dirty and he was mature enough to get dirty. So that kind of puts us at the question, are we willing to get dirty? Are we willing? Uh, serving is dirty work. So how do I serve? I serve by meeting the needs that I meet. I take responsibility. I have to believe that God will give me what I need to meet the need. And I have to be willing to get dirty and mature enough to get dirty and meet the need. Are you willing to do that? That's what this serving thing is all about. Let's make a deal this week. As we go from here, you, you are going to be, and you know what? I'll, I'll do this. I'll pray that you have an opportunity to serve somebody, okay? Because you might be hesitant to do that. I'll pray for you. You're going to have an opportunity to serve someone this week, to meet a need. Can you do it? The need that you greet is the need that you're responsible to meet. Let's do that. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we need your help in this. We come before you and our, uh, first off, just we want to be lights in the world, and we know that that comes through serving others. And we know serving people gives us a chance to share the gospel with them, and so we want to do that. But, Lord, we need help believing and being willing to meet the need. So I pray that you'd help us with that. Father, first off, it starts with a relationship with you. You know, if we, if we just serve all day long and don't have a relationship with you, that doesn't mean a whole lot but you give us a, a purpose and a meaning. And so I pray that anyone here that doesn't know you, they begin a relationship with you today and begin serving others in that relationship. Pray that you'd help us as a church to change a life that changes the world around us. God, we want to glorify and honor you in all that we do. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend.
Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.